welcome to The Hive Podcast, a show that helps inspire you to pursue your passions and ambitions. My name is Jared Spink and I'm your host. I'm a photographer, videographer, and entrepreneur. Join me as I sit down with other entrepreneurs and creators to learn more about their process, how they've built communities around their brands, and the experiences they've had along the way. I hope that these conversations inspire you to pursue your goals. You're listening to The Hive Podcast. So this week I have Dave Mays join me on the, on the podcast. Uh, Dave is a, uh, a podcaster, a YouTuber, um, a videographer. It just a, a, has a great background, and I'm excited to hear his, uh, his story and his journey uh, as a creator this week. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jared, for having me. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super stoked. Uh, you know, I've been, uh, we were talking before this, I follow you on Twitter, connected with you there, but, uh, you know, I've been following, uh, especially the Golden Hour podcast you do for Polar Pro from, from the very beginning. Absolutely love that show. I always look forward to every Tuesday when it comes out. (laughs) It's definitely one of, uh, my, my most, my favorite things I do because it is very different from my day to day when it comes to reviewing gear and making YouTube videos. It's just a great way to really just kind of have coffee and (laughs) <laughs> have a uh, like a lunch with a creator basically is how I treat it. Um, it's just virtual now with uh, COVID-19. We're not meeting in the office anymore, but in a way it's opened up the door to have um, some amazing guests on that we could never get on because they live in different countries or different states. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the beginning of the podcast, it was all about whoever was in town who was willing to meet us in California. But now we've just kind of opened it up to, doing, uh, these Skype calls that, you know, kind of like what we're doing right now. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, it, it's definitely opened up the door, uh, doing these remote podcasts, being able to have, uh, people on from all over the world, um, and not have to have them come meet you. And you know, right now it's a lot safer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even yeah, with of us, course. I mean, we, uh, I'm down <laughs> in San Diego. I think you're up in like the Laguna area, right? So it's only yeah. kind of like a 30, 40 minute drive, but this is much safer. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. So for our guests that uh, that don't know you, who who's Dave? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I am. Uh, I am Dave. I am he. Uh, no, I I come from Nashville, Tennessee, and like you said, I do live in Orange County, California, and I'm, I'm a happy uh, OC boy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm from Nashville originally, and. Uh, grew up out there, uh, and I got my start in video uh, production when I was 17 years old, uh, shooting weddings with my friend who had a, a wedding film company at the time. And this was before uh, the DSLR revolution. It was right at the beginning of it in 2008. Uh, that's when the 5D Mark II came out. And I started right, like literally, I remember my first job I ever did with this guy who, his name is Jeffrey. He's uh, one of my best friends. He started the company. Um, I remember the very first job I had my, my HD camcorder filming the, the event. And, uh, he was saying, yeah, there's these things called DSLRs that can shoot HD video now. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And so I remember that, that tells you how old I am, I guess, if you want to say it was kind of like really at the beginning of that kind of revolution that happened in the video industry. And after a couple of weeks of working with him, uh, he decided to sell one of his camcorders, uh, a Sony camcorder, and he bought a 5D Mark II. And we started shooting weddings on DSLRs. Um, and 
it really changed the game. At least in Nashville, there was only one other company in the entire city that was shooting on DSLRs. Um, and so our footage looked, you know, literally five to 10 times better than everybody else because they were still shooting on camcorders. And, you know, if you're not familiar with this whole revolution, uh, basically in 2008, the 5D Mark II came out, which from Canon was a full frame uh, DSLR camera that they enabled the HD function on it to shoot video. And it was kind of a side thing. They're like, yeah, journalists, maybe they'll use this to record uh, little snippets when they're out in the field. But it turned into like filmmakers started using it because you could get a full frame video look, um, which was unheard of for video at the time, especially for that price point and the size. So um, because of that, we got a couple Pinterest videos that kind of went viral um, we started learning and getting better and better at shooting weddings. And that became kind of my bread and butter for the next, gosh, I think, you know, 10 years of my life was shooting weddings and, uh, documentaries and, uh, event style shooting. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's my background in video. Um, and we can talk about my journey into YouTube and stuff, but, uh, you know, to answer your question, who is Dave? I mean, right now I'm a father of two kids I got a two-year-old and an uh, eight-month-old. I'm married to a beautiful wife, uh, Laura. We've been married for almost six years. And uh, I live here in Orange County and make YouTube videos and podcasts. Nice. That's what I do now. So uh, <laughs> what, what brought, you, uh, brought you out here from Nashville? So it's been a dream of mine to move to California for the access to the film industry and the entertainment industry in general. I also, I say I'm from Nashville, but I actually was born in LA. My mom is born and raised here, uh, and my parents met here and had me here. Uh, we moved during the Rodney King riots, which is similar to kind of what's going on now. Uh, I mean, it was definitely more violent is what I've been told. Uh, we were right in the thick of the rioting that was happening in LA, and I was a baby, and my, my parents decided that it would be safer for our family to move, and so they moved to... Nashville. My dad's a music producer. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I grew up kind of in the music industry cause my dad's a Christian music uh, artist and producer. So, um, yeah, but I've always wanted to move back. I've been here over the years cause my whole family lives here. They live in Huntington beach. And, uh, so I've just continued to come out here. I've always wanted to live here. I've had a lot of projects over the years that were here and I just kind of had like a burning desire to be here. And it wasn't until VidCon of 2017, I believe, 2018, uh, that it really clicked with me uh, that I, I wanted to move here for my YouTube career. Uh, I met so many YouTubers. They all lived in LA and I was like, wow, every single person that I want to collaborate with and be friends with lives here. So I should probably move. <laughs> so my wife and I just kind of prayed about it. And uh, within a couple of weeks, I got a phone call from Polar Pro. And they asked if I'd be interested in hosting this uh, podcast, the Golden Hour Podcast. And I'd have to move to California. And so the timing of it was perfect. And uh, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It definitely seems like things have really taken off for you since, since you moved out here. You miss it? You miss Nashville at all? Absolutely. There's a lot of kind of nostalgic things about it when I think about it. You know, grass is always greener on the other side. You know, there's a lot of, uh, I feel like, I mean, no offense to California, but um, the people in Nashville and, and just in the South in general are just a little bit warmer. They're just warmer, kinder people. And 
after living here for a while, I'm starting to realize how kind and uh, that kind of Southern hospitality thing, it really is a real thing. I always thought it was like, ah, oh, no, you're just saying that. But like, I mean, people really are overall uh, kind of, uh, it's definitely a stereotype, you know, mm-hmm. not everybody in California is a jerk. Not everybody in, <laughs> in Tennessee is, is like perfect, but uh, I've, I think just as a whole, I, I've missed kind of that Southern lifestyle, the food, the, you know, going out on the lake and the grass that's always green in the hills and the uh, kind of Southern lifestyle, even though I'm not at all a country person, I grew up kind of in what would be considered the country. Uh, you know, I don't have an accent necessarily. Sometimes I'll sometimes I'll say stuff that sounds like I got one, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I don't like country music. I don't like hunting. I don't like fishing. But there's something about that kind of Cracker Barrel lifestyle that I do really like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean Nashville offers a lot more than the country life too, right? It's still a big city. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean the reason that um, it didn't change. I mean we were living in the city and uh, we moved here. I feel like nothing really changed for us too much because the city is full of a bunch of LA and New York people. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> a lot of people go I mean, to Nashville. Almost everybody I talk to in LA and I say I'm from Nashville, like, really? Why did you move here? We're we're thinking about moving there, you know. <laughs> so yeah, Nashville's great. Awesome. I've I've only been there once, but uh I loved it. Great food. Missed the the legit oh, yeah. hot chicken. <laughs> yes. Although I will say, um, coming from a real Nashville person the kfc hot chicken is surprisingly good i like it it holds up uh it's you know it's not as authentic it's definitely a fast food option but if you want a little taste of hot chicken and and you don't live near a hot chicken place like a trendy little place then go to kfc they have a hot chicken and it's actually pretty good yeah no i've I've had it quite a few times It, it is really good it's a little bit more on the greasier side but uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it is. It is really good. I was stoked to see that. Um, all right. Enough about hot chicken because uh, it's going to start making me hungry. So let's talk yeah. about your uh, your YouTube journey. Did you start YouTube um, before you moved out to California? Were you still I did. So how long have you I been on did. YouTube then? Um, I would say I guess it's been almost it's been about, it's been three years, three like years, a little a little over three years, which, um, you know, I've. Like I said earlier, I started my journey in professional video making when I was 17, and only in the last three years. I'm I'm turning 30 this year in August. By the way, very excited about that. Um, so yeah, so f- for you know more than a decade, I've been making videos now um, professionally, and uh, only in the last three years has it been YouTube related. So I think one of the misconceptions that people have about me is that I'm just a YouTuber. But if you go on my Vimeo page, you'll find, uh, you know, I I had a staff pick, you know, eight years ago on Vimeo, which launched a whole career in directing, uh, directing music videos, short films, and uh, documentaries. I made two movies with my dad, who's also a film director, and he, those films went to theaters. Um, So I I have an actual history in in traditional kind of filmmaking and uh, commercial work. Um, so when, once I started YouTube, uh, it was, it was very easy for me to just pick up the camera and go for it. Um, I think it was a lot of other filmmakers, uh, inspiration was, uh, was Casey Neistat. And I hear this all the time when I do interviews with people, um, 
you know, when I saw his skill as a filmmaker making vlogs and YouTube videos, that's it kind of all clicked for me. I'm like, oh yeah, I, as a filmmaker or as a as a professional video person, I can apply that to YouTube and really stand out um, because I understand how to edit. I understand how to shoot. Um, and one other aspect of my career that uh, a lot of people don't realize too is I have uh, six years of uh, performing uh, background as a magician. I was actually a professional illusionist uh, when I was 14 years old. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was awesome. my first job. I worked at a restaurant every weekend when I was 14. And then that turned into little kids' birthday parties and corporate parties. And then throughout high school, I started doing that more and more. And um, bef- like as I was doing the video stuff when I was 17, I was also on the side doing uh, magic. I, actually, I wouldn't even say on the side. I'd say it was pretty much a 50-50 split. Half my time was spent making videos. The other half was uh, with my magic career. And at the time, I thought that's what I wanted to do, actually. I was pursuing like a, getting a manager and going on on the road. Um, I had a mentor who toured the, the world doing uh, magic shows uh, in the Christian industry. And he kind of mentored me and brought me on the road and I I got to open up for him and he taught me a lot. Um, But I decided to eventually switch to video. But that's one whole aspect of my career that um, a lot of people don't realize is, you know, I have experience performing in front of thousands of people uh, on stages doing magic. And so uh, I really have discovered that YouTube is a blend of uh, video making and performance art. It really is a... uh, if you want to be good at it, I think uh, it's just like being an actor. You have to know how to perform on camera. Um, you know, there's definitely days that I'm not happy and I have to pretend that I'm happy. <laughs> That's called acting. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, and, your, uh, your background's definitely prepared you for, uh, you know, a successful YouTube career. Uh, having the technical knowledge, which is huge, um, and yeah. makes the video production not only smoother, but just a lot nicer than than what yeah. it could be or could have been if you didn't. And then having the background to, to be able to act essentially and be comfortable in front of the camera, because just because you're a good filmmaker doesn't mean you're going to be great in front of the camera. I think a lot of people think uh, <laughs> that aren't really into the YouTube industry that, Oh, you make videos. They automatically assume yeah. that you can be in front of the camera. And it, people learn quickly when they, when they think it's easy that it's, it's really not, it's very, it's very difficult to get yeah. used to looking at a camera. It is. And, uh, I think maybe more so than others, it it was faster for me to get used to that. Also at the time when I first started my YouTube channel and that, and it was my self-titled YouTube channel, by the way, Dave Altizer, which by the way, is my real name. Uh Oh, uh, I have a stage name, but yeah, when I first started, nobody was watching my videos. So I was being as goofy and as kind of dumb as possible. Um, because I knew nobody was watching it anyways. So um, I was, I think there's some value in, in when you start out, just kind of put it all out on the table, just lay it all out there. Cause, um, you know, chances are most people aren't going to see it and it's a great place to experiment and send it to your friends and family and, uh, put it out to the audience that you do have. If you have any on Twitter or uh, Instagram or whatever, and get feedback and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think just like, uh, when I was a magician, uh, it was all about stage time. You just gotta have, you know, 10,000 hours of stage time and over, you know, I started when I was 14 and I stopped doing magic when I was like 24. So that was another decade. It's funny. I have two decades of different careers, 10 years of magic, 10 years of over 10 years of video making. Um, so, 
so yeah, it's all about stage time. It's all about camera time. The more you put yourself in front of the camera, the more that you look at your, that's the thing that's painful about YouTube is you have to edit yourself. Mm, <laughs> so <yeah. laughs> when you're, when you're editing your videos and you see all the weird quirks that you do and the like, uh, for me, I've, I've learned that I say, so like before I start a sentence, I say the word, so, and, uh, I catch myself, you know, when I'm editing, it's like, why did I say so, so many times? And, uh, so those are all little things that if you're able to be objective about yourself, when you're editing, you can learn and, and get better. I still say so all the time because it's just something that there's so many little ticks and weird things that we all do yeah. uh, without a, without us thinking about it, uh, and you start to notice it. At least I do. <laughs> oh, I definitely <laughs> but, do. L- l- watching back my videos or listening back to the podcast, uh, like I- I'm so bad at once I've actually uploaded this podcast, uh-huh. listening to it. Like I'll listen to it while I'm <laughs> editing it, but once it's edited and yeah. uploaded, like I'm done. I don't want to listen to it again. I've listened yeah. to it plenty of times. <laughs> start noticing well, all your for- weird quirks and everything. Well, I mean, I can just say from my experience too, it's the same. I mean, I'm, I have the Golden Hour podcast. I I listen to it when I interview and then I listen to it basically twice while I'm editing it because you're stopping and going and cutting and, you know, doing all these little things and adding tweaks and stuff. I don't know if you, we, we edit Golden Hour pretty heavily. So I have to actually listen to the entire thing uh, all over again and sometimes uh, and we try to keep it clean too. So if we have a guest that does use language, I have to make sure that, uh, we bleep those out. And, uh, we had Becky and Chris on this week and oh, I just listened to episode two yesterday. Lots of, uh, <laughs> duck quacks. They're, they're great. Uh, but Becky and Chris both, uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to like tell them to stop because I know that's just part of how they talk and it's funny. Um, and I didn't want to take away from that. So I just wanted them to be themselves. But because, you know, we are represented by Polar Pro and I mean, not represented, it's paid for by Polar Pro uh, and it represents that, you know, corporate kind of company. They wanted to stay clean for families, which is totally understandable. Um, so, so yeah, so I actually missed one F-bomb. And At my, the very beginning, uh, I caught it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, thankfully, Buzzsprout, uh, the website I use for the hosting, allows you to replace the audio, which is great. So I, I actually, last night, my boss texted me and said, hey, at 635, there's a F-bomb. He's like, don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, no, I'll, I'll cut it out. So I, I went back and trimmed it out and re-uploaded it. So na- starting now, you'll never hear that again. But uh, anyways... I don't know what we're talking about. I went on a tangent there. <laughs> no, it's great. We'll get into the podcast some more. <clears throat> but going sure. back, going back to the YouTube. Um, actually, real quick, yeah. where did the stage name come from? So everybody probably yeah. knows you on Instagram, um, or not Instagram, but Twitter and and uh, YouTube, YouTube as Dave Mays. So where did the where did the stage name come from? Uh, so that's an old stage name. Um, and I, I made a video about, cause I was going by my real name for the first year on Kinotika. And then I, I decided to switch it back to my stage name when I was a magician. Um, you know, I, I've shared a little bit about my magic background and that was uh, a stage name I used when I was doing that full time because prepare to be demazed by Dave Mays. That was the, uh, the tagline. And, uh, <laughs> I, my last name is Altizer, A-L-T-I-Z-E-R. It's like a a, a Dutch kind of German name. Uh, it's hard for people to say. There's a Z in there. Uh, 
most of the time people butcher the name. Uh, honestly, I don't even think I'm pronouncing it right because I did go to Germany and I said Altizer. And they said, no, that's not how you say it. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, apparently it's Altizer uh, or something like that. Altizer or something like that. Um, but <laughs> you got to uh, say it with an angry accent. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's there's plenty of great creators out there who have hard last names. I mean, Matty Apoya, I, I still don't know how to spell that, you know, and I I, don't, I barely am confident in even saying it, you know. Um, Nystat is is a weird last name as well. So Dietschy is hard to spell. It took me two or three times to figure out how to spell Sarah Dietschy. Um, yeah, I mean, it. I don't think it really matters in the long run if you have a weird, I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk, that's super weird, but he does go by V. Um, I it's just a personal decision. I, I ran into situations where I was meeting um, business people or other creators uh, and we were exchanging numbers or contacts and, and they said, so what's your name again? And I'd say Dave Altizer and they said, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then I changed it to Dave Mays and I meet creators and, and other people and I say, my name is Dave Mays and they said, oh, that's cool. You know? So, uh, it just looks better. They're both four letters. Uh, the A and the E line up with each other. Uh, it's balanced. It's easy to say. Um, it's unique. Demazing. Dave Mays. That yeah, kind great. of thing. I mean, oh. you, got, you just started another podcast, too, which we'll get into, right? Dema- yeah, yeah. Amazing podcast. Um, so, what's the story? I, I was curious. What's the story behind uh, your YouTube channel name, Kinotika? So, you don't go. Sure. It's not the Dave Mays channel. It's Kinotika. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so this is getting into the technicalities of my situation. Um, and I'm happy to share it, but, uh, so I started my YouTube channel for about three or four months and, uh, I was just, like I said, I was just kind of doing whatever I was just reviewing cameras and I got an email, um, from a person from China and they said, uh, hi, we're so-and-so, uh, we have helped start a couple of YouTube channels before. We're really interested in your performance and your style. We really like what you're doing. And we were curious to know if you would like to host our YouTube channel called Kinotika. And I, I think because I was so desperate at the time, I just quit my job. I was working at a, like a nine to five during that time. And, uh, while I was there, I just decided to quit cause I couldn't really stand working there. And I wanted to get back into freelance and uh, I was doing YouTube as an outlet for me to be creative. And this opportunity just came out of nowhere. And it was too good to be true, really. But because of my situation, I didn't care if it, if it was too good to be true. Um, and I, I responded to the email, <laughs> even though it was a little bit broken English. <laughs> and uh, we ended up having a Skype call. And the, the guy who uh, reached out to me is now my boss. And he turned out to be the real deal. And he has started a handful of YouTube channels, uh, in all sorts of different topics, bitcoins, drones, camera stuff. Um, and he's just like a producer and there's an investor who's behind him that he's kind of convinced to, uh, to, to pay him to pay creators to create YouTube channels. So this guy that I work with, he's just an entrepreneur who, uh, kind of finds people who have, uh, that he feels have talent and he just kind of starts YouTube channels. Um, and so that's the, that's what happened. I, I, uh, the channel name was given to me cause it already, he created the name. Um, there was no other host. you know, the channel didn't exist yet. Um, but basically I, I, my agreement was I would do two videos a week 
so eight uh, a month. Um, and they, they set, you know, I, I was able to make uh, enough money to live. It was barely enough to, to live actually, but, um, and we were in Nashville at the time. And so rent was only a thousand dollars a month. So that helped. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just kind of went all in at the beginning of Kinotika doing two videos a week. Um, and I decided to stop doing any freelance work. I was still getting hired to shoot weddings on the weekends. And I, and I was even editing weddings, uh, for a friend as well. And I found that I wasn't able to focus on my YouTube channel. I wasn't able to really put all the energy into it. And so I, did, I talked to my wife. I said, Hey, you know, we're comfortable with these two things, but, um, if I just do the YouTube thing, we could, we can live off of it, but we're going to kind of feel broke for about probably a year before this picks up. And she said, okay, I trust you. And so we got on a really strict budget and we basically lived, you know, super broke. We, we were right on the edge every month. You know, we were every paycheck that came in, we'd spend all of it by before the end of the month. And we often would have $0 in the bank before the next month, you know? So, um, but basically because of that, um, I was able to really focus on the channel and we ended up hiring a guy named Connor McCaskill who started editing with me, who's one of my oldest family friends. His parents and my parents are best friends. We grew up kind of together. So I already knew him and he was in Nashville too, obviously. And he just got out of college and was kind of wanting to get into the video industry. And so I said, Hey, I got a job. I'll pay, you know, my boss ended up paying him a very small amount of money, but it was enough for him to live because he was living with his parents at the time. And, uh, yeah, we just kind of cranked it out and uh, started making two videos a week, me and Connor. And uh, it was a really fun time because we were competing with the big dogs. You know, like I was looking at a lot of, a lot of the people that are my friends now. But uh, at the time, I was really just looking at them and like, okay, you know, we're coming out of nowhere here. And, you know, I was pre-ordering every camera that came out and reviewing it. We didn't have any connections with any companies. It was literally just... We would just buy things and review it, and then I would either return it on Amazon after I was done with my review or uh, sell it on eBay and take a little loss there. Um, and that was all paid for, by the way, uh, by my my boss uh, in China. So um, and that, the, the whole situation does sound a little fishy, but it's not. Like they they PayPal me each month, and uh, you know, I get to to work with them, but I don't have to rely on the YouTube algorithm and the, the YouTube revenue necessarily. Um, I'm able to have a steady kind of paycheck with them. And, and it's been a really great relationship, uh, over the last two years now. Um, so yeah, so that's how the name came to be. And that's kind of how the beginning of Kinetika started. Uh, you know, he's the guy wanted to start a camera related, uh, YouTube channel. And he found me out of, you know, a bunch of other YouTubers. He said he emailed Jason Vong, Sydney Diongzen. Um, I think he said he even emailed Gerald Undone and nobody responded. I was the only one that responded. <laughs> uh, so, that's a cool story though. I, I had no idea that's that's uh, how the Kino Tika cha channel came about. That's, uh, I don't think I have heard that that one before. So well, that's for, why for the channel it. isn't yeah, that's why the channel isn't, you know, in my name, you know, it's still a brand that, uh, isn't me. It's, it's its own thing. And, um, you know, eventually I might not be the host of the channel. So, um, but the name will live on and the brand will live on. So that's the idea behind it. 
That's a cool story. Thanks for sharing that uh, with with us, Dave. Uh, what's your? I got, I'm looking at your channel now, and if anybody uh-huh. is ever looking to buy a camera, I highly recommend going to, uh, to Kinotika and checking out one of Dave's vi- videos before you buy it. Do your research because you go <laughs> super in depth into your camera reviews, but not just yeah. in depth on the tech aspects, but actually like real like how is this to use? It's not just going through specs, yeah. but you, you go out there, you, you go out into the apartment complex. It looks like where you live or you go to the park <laughs> or whatever, you go to the beach and uh, you put the thing yeah. to use like someone normally would. So, um, tons and tons of videos. Well, what are your favorite videos to make? I know you guys mainly do, you know, gear reviews, camera reviews, but you do some tutorials. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess what, what, what's your, when you're approaching a video topic, what's, what's your favorite topic to do? So I think overall, uh, the topic is always camera and gear related, but um, I do like to put kind of more emphasis on the entertainment of it. Um, I think at the end of the day, I want to build an audience of people who are entertained and they just want to stick around and watch everything I make. Not necessarily humor into your videos. I love it. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. So, and I'm still working on that. I'm still kind of developing that and figuring that out. And sometimes I just, I have to get something done and, I kind of just lay it all out there. You know, if I get a, if I get like, I, I got the Mavic Air 2, you know, recently, and I, I actually was lucky enough to get that one a little earlier uh, and was able to get that out before most people got them. And because I know that I'm going to get a lot of viewers who aren't subscribers to watch that because they're just interested and they're searching for it. I'll, I'll do a little bit of humor here and there, but I do kind of keep it more informational because I, I've found that when you do like a product announcement or like a first look video and you're one of the earliest YouTubers with that product, if you're being fully like 100% yourself uh, uh, in terms of like your, your normal style, sometimes it can kind of turn people off and I would just get a ton of hate comments and stuff. And more, more importantly than that is, you know, the drop off rate on the video in terms of the analytics is pretty high. So Basically, because people are just dipping in to learn the information, um, with those types of reviews, I'll just give them the straight information uh, with my little flair or like my little touch. And if I can get them to subscribe from that video, uh, then you know, then they can become a fan potentially and, and enjoy all the other things I do. One of the most enjoyable uh, couple of things I've done over the last couple months are the music parodies. Um, I did three parodies um, last year, or I did one this year and two last year. Uh, One was called uh, Brand New iPhone, which was a parody of Old Town Road. Uh, And it was about me getting um, the new iPhone 11. Uh, I want a phone with no head, with the, I want that phone with no headphone hole, you know. (laughs) Um, And uh, and then bad, uh, a parody of Bad Guy called Gear Guy. I'm a gear guy, collect a lot of stuff, That's guy, the don't Billy know Eilish how to one, use, right? guy. Yep. Yeah, pretend I think I know, guy, you know. So that one is a parody of uh, a lot of the YouTuber friends <laughs> that I know, and <laughs> even myself, where it's like we have a lot of gear and we collect a lot of gear, but we don't actually use it. It's just kind of like this weird like cycle of, uh, you know, we just collect stuff and just kind of make reviews about the stuff, but don't actually use the stuff. <laughs> it's kind of a weird, it's a weird meta situation. Cause I'm, I fall into that. And then, uh, and then the last one, I just was so inspired to make it because 
during this whole coronavirus situation, all the late night hosts started filming uh, the late night TV on iPhones and, you know, MacBooks. Um, and it was awful. You know, oh, it was just they, so bad. They are so they, bad. They're still, I mean. They've gotten better. I think, yeah. <laughs> a, a, I think a lot of them, like Jimmy Kimmel, for example, um, you know, it looks like his crew has come into his house and they've set him up with like good cameras, good lighting. Um, Jimmy Fallon is still shooting everything himself. It seems like, and it, it looks terrible. It looks so bad. And he really is. He was, I was, cause you know, my wife and I, we love watching late night with Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> it's been rough lately because it's just so bad. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's hard. It's funny too. Cause when he's doing the money, the opening monologue, usually he gets a little boost when the audience applauds or starts laughing. Right. Cause it's cute. Yeah. And now it's just nothing. He tells a joke and there's nothing. You're like, was that funny? I don't know. <laughs> they <laughs> but need yeah, to change he was doing the an interview. Format. I forget who it was with. And he just like, yeah. held up the iPad and he turned like, there's, there's no one here. There's just me on, yeah. on the iPad. <laughs> no They're lighting, so used nothing. To that. Oh, it's so bad. They need to get more creative with that because the reason that YouTubers do jump cuts and the reason that YouTubers are so fast is because your attention span on YouTube is so low and you have to keep people's attention. So, I think Conan has done a really good job. He's he's made it really interesting. He's done like a lot of Zoom pranks and different things, and um, I, you know they're gonna figure it out. But they're they're just kind of an old school type of media, so they're not used to making internet content. But I made a parody about that, uh, uh, and you know I have a bunch of other ideas on parodies as well that I'm excited about but so yeah it's it's kind of a blend of reviews uh tutorials like you said and then just pure entertainment you know those parodies are gear and you know camera related but they're it's just for entertainment purposes you yeah know? they're they're great um so I was curious about your process from start to finish when you when you uh I think a lot of people that are interested in, in making YouTube videos or or starting a YouTube channel might be curious about you know, a successful YouTuber, what your process is from start to finish. How do you come up with your ideas? Do you script them? Um, kind of walk us through your process. Sure. Uh, so I'll just kind of, most of my videos are gear related. So I'll, I'll talk from that perspective. Um, so I'll get a new camera, for example. And um, first thing I'll do is literally just hold it, play with it without me even filming anything. It's just I need to have at least a kind of a day to just, you know, film my kids, take pictures of my kids and just figure it out because, um, I have done, I must admit that I have received cameras in the mail and then turn the camera on and just talk like I know what I'm talking about, uh, and just hold it and be like, yeah, so it does this, 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 and this, um, which is fine if I'm just reading the specs and I'm holding it. Um, but I, I want to kind of have real time with the camera before I can give my thoughts on it. Um, I don't really need much time, honestly, to, to have any thoughts about it because I've really touched and kind of used everything at this point. So, um, and use, I don't, I don't get confused when I pick up a camera. Like I know there's really, there's ISO aperture, white balance, you know, picture, picture profiles, different file formats. They're, they're all the same, basically. Um, so how does it feel in my hands? How do, how do I enjoy using the product? And then from there, I'll actually write. Um, I like to bullet point or script my videos. It depends on 
what I'm doing. If I'm doing a review, then I will uh, often now, my, my current, I haven't always been like this, but I, I will now actually script the video. Um, and I really like that process because I'll just take my laptop and go somewhere different. So if it's just my couch in my living room or at the beach or at a coffee shop, you know, recently it's been in my, either in my garage or in my living room, <laughs> uh, because we can't go out, yeah. but, um, but yeah, just having a different location than my desk, um, to write. I kind of like having that cause it just gives me something new and I'll just have basically the specs of the camera on one side of my laptop screen and then my, um, Apple pages or Apple notes on the other side. And I'll just kind of just type out the specs word for word in my own kind of words. Um, and then just start developing my thoughts and ideas and just write it all out in a conversational, uh, way. Cause, uh, you can't write a script like you would write a blog post cause it just comes off really weird. Yeah. Um, and so I, I write in a, vo a more loose, uh, type of writing style. Um, and then from there I'll go out, uh, and, and usually shoot my B roll. Um, uh, and the B roll or the writing can either can flip flop. You can do one or the other. It doesn't matter which order you go in, but, um, so I'll just go out to the beach. I'll go to the lake. I'll go to the park or wherever and, you know, film myself using the camera doing different tests, different examples. Um, you know, people really like to see side-by-side -side comparisons to different things. And, um, you know, that can take a day sometimes, a full work day to go out and film B-roll. Um, I like to have a shooter to do that. I really thrive in that type of setup. So I'll, I'll ask uh, my friend Jake Bernal uh, to shoot with me now, or if Connor is available, who is currently working with Armando Fiera, uh, sometimes he'll help me out. Um, and yeah, just having somebody else there to help with the B-roll can really help. Um, so that's me getting all the really pretty shots of the camera. Uh, that's me testing it. That's me reviewing it. And I don't focus on talking too much during that. Sometimes I will review it, in that scenario where I'll just have a lav mic and then I'll do my review. Um, and if that's the case, then I'll usually just have bullet points and I kind of improvise what I'm talking about based on those bullet points. But recently what I've been doing is I'll go shoot the B roll and I don't have to stress out about getting any review content. It's just B roll, uh, and it's example footage and, and photos and videos. And then the next day or that night, I'll use my prompter. I, I use the, it's called the parrot, uh, prompter or something. And you use your iPhone on it and it just mounts onto your, uh, your camera lens and it's really small and compact, easy to use. Um, and it comes with a little remote control that you can hide in your hand and you can start, stop it. You can control the speed. Um, and yeah, I'll just, I'll just sit at my desk, uh, in my little garage setup and, uh, just read the script. <laughs> and uh, the great thing about having a script is that you don't have to follow the script. Uh, you can go off script all the time. And I do I do occasionally uh, go off script and I'll just pause the prompter and go on a rant about whatever I'm talking about and then I'll continue. And But having having a script is just great because you have something to fall back on. And I feel like you're when you're able to write out your thoughts... Um, you're not wasting your viewers' time in any way because 
you really did put thought and care into creating that script. And it's, I think it's easier to do it. I used to think it would, would take longer to do all that. It may or may not be the same amount of time as if I, what I used to do is just sit and just ramble and I would have bullet points, but I would just kind of make up stuff. And I'd end up having, I'd have to retake a, a certain topic over and over and over until I set it right. And editing through all that is annoying. And also because I'm kind of making it up on camera, there's just a lot of wasted time of me just sitting there and thinking through what I'm supposed to be saying. Um, I do have that skill though. Like if, if I'm at a conference or something, I don't plan anything. I just, I'll just be like, so that, you know, we're looking at the new black magic camera. It's got a, you know, it's a 4k micro thirds camera. It does this, this, and this, you know, I, I may, I am able to, I do have some weird skill of being able to retain camera information. I can't remember people's names or, uh, other things, but I can remember camera specs. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I'll, I'll usually just sit down and read the script and then uh, that makes the editing so much better because often if I have any mistakes at all, uh, they're minor and it's easy to change it. Um, while, I'm, while I'm talking, if I do make a mistake, I just pause and then restate that again. Um, because I'm an editor, I know where things can cut while I'm saying it, so... You know, if if I'm mid sentence and I kind of slurred my words in between each other, I I know that I should back up a little further back to where there's a clean cut there. Um, and the beauty of YouTube is you you can do jump cuts and it, like it's been proven that people don't really care. I know I know some people do care and they try not to have jump cuts, um, but often what I do is if I'm doing a jump cut in my edit because I made a mistake or whatever, uh, I'll just zoom in or do something funny or like add a a text or a graphic or mm -hmm. something to kind of hide the jump cut. Um, I rarely just have a, me sitting here with a ton of jump cuts, but there have been times where I, I've literally just sat and talked for 10 minutes with very minimal B-roll and just a bunch of jump cuts and it, it ends up working. I'm surprised by that. I found that at least in our niche, um, I think audio drives the videos more than the video itself. Uh, we could spend, you know, all day on the most beautiful B-roll in the world but if the content and what I'm saying isn't good, then nobody nobody cares. Because um, kind of anybody can shoot B-roll. You know, there is a there is a, a there is a skill there for sure. But um, I feel like a lot of up and coming YouTubers who are just starting out, you know, now on YouTube, there's a lot of competition. If you not competition, but there's plenty of people doing camera reviews now. Almost all of them have great B-roll. You know. Um, so anybody can do that. What makes me different, what makes you different, anybody who's doing it is is you. It's how you present what you're talking about. It's how you perform on camera. It's how you're able to uh, review that product. And so I've found that um, if I'm in a rush or, or if I want to just crank a video out really fast, as long as what I'm talking about is good, I can really not even have any B-roll at all and, and the video will still work if what I'm talking about is relevant and, and interesting. Yeah. So and I think for anybody listening that's looking to start, I mean, that's it's all just going to come with time. Time and practice. You've been doing it for years. Like yeah. you said, you have two decades in, in different industries that has helped yeah. you get to where you're at now. Uh, for that teleprompter, though, 
Would you recommend that for someone that's just starting out? Because it, it sounds like that would actually, a lot of people when they're first starting out, I think struggle with looking at the lens. Uh-huh. Would that teleprompter, <laughs> does that teleprompter help you keep a little more focused on, on where you need to be looking? Uh, if it mounts right on the lens? I get, I guess so. Yeah. I, I never really struggled with looking at the lens, but I guess you're right. Um, I think the problem with a prompter, if you're starting out is it it does take a lot of skill to look like you're not reading a prompter. So, um, that's the only problem with the prompter is I think you should kind of feel that kind of, uh, pressure of, I'm on camera right now. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to figure it out. Uh, there's some, there is some skill to be learned there with no prompter. Maybe having the prompter is a little bit of a safety net if, if you're not used to being on camera. But having some sort of script with a prompter, you know, like I said earlier, it just gives you something to fall back on and it does allow you to edit a lot faster because you know, if you're lucky, you could potentially read the entire prompter. Uh, and if you, if you wrote it properly in one take, you don't have to edit anything <laughs> if you do it right, you know, that, that um, nice. <laughs> but that's not, you know, that, that never happens, but, um, it is possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you want to start straight out the gate with a prompter, uh, I think, yeah, it would obviously help you look at the lens, but I would just encourage you to really, uh, practice, you know, reading the prompter with, without looking like you're reading it. And I don't even know how to bring that up. There's big YouTubers that I watch that still, um, look like they're reading a prompter, uh, Dieter bone, for example, from the verge, you can tell that he reads a prompter every time I see him. Um, Renee Ritchie, who's a friend of mine, he's really skilled at what he does, but he reads a prompter and you can, you can kind of tell. Um, so, but the news reads the prompter and you can tell that too. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, when they're in their normal scenarios, they're always reading a prompter. You can't tell. Um, so it takes a lot of work to, to build that up. And I think it takes a lot of skill. And I, that's not to take away from the creators I listed, by the way. They're both extremely successful and more successful than I am. And if that's anything, <laughs> uh, that's anything to say that like, even if you're not perfect at reading the prompter, it proves that the content is what matters. It's the the meat of what you're talking about. Both Dieter and Renee are great writers. And so all the content they're talking about has a ton of meat to it. So even if they're not perfect in their performance, uh, the content itself is amazing, you know? So um, I hate that I just threw them under the bus a little <laughs> bit, but I'm just pointing out, like, that's a good reference point. You can go watch their stuff and see what I'm talking about. Um, so I wanted to rewind a little bit when you were talking about the videos you like to make and they're usually gear reviews. You, you held up the, um, the Mavic Air 2. You said you, you got that a little, little early. So how, how do you work with brands? How do you decide which brands you want to work with? Um, kind of walk us through that process. I think a lot of people might be interested on, on how that process works. Sure. So I mean, there's two sides to that. Uh, my friend Caleb Pike from DSLR Video Shooter, he does not work with brands at all. He he is always late to review stuff, if you will, <laughs> because what he does is he just orders the camera just like any normal person and reviews it. And I think I think um, morally and and uh, you know uh, just being honest and whatnot, like doing that's the best way to review something is to purchase the product and review it. 
because there's literally no uh, there's no involvement with the company. You're not trying to make a PR person happy or you're not trying to make Sony happy or whatever. Even though legally speaking, um, they cannot influence those reviews. Um, I have been flown out to events where it's like, you know, in Catalina with, uh, you know, schmoozing with other creators and like, very fancy dinners and events and things going on. And you see it all the time when cameras are coming out. It's like all the YouTubers go to some sort of event where they're being fed and they're given drinks and there's models everywhere to take pictures of. And, you know, they tried their best to make it like a really good uh, place. And if you're super honest and the camera sucks, um, Sony might not even invite you again, you know, and blacklisted, right? (laughs) You get blacklisted. Um, so I don't know if you want as much as it's as much as it's like nice to think like, oh, man, it'd be great to get products early um, to get that kind of advantage on the platform, uh, because, you know, traditionally, if you're early with your review, you get more views than others. But I feel like that is slowly starting to die off now that. Basically, anytime like the new was it the new ZV one from Sony? And we all got blown came, up on the day it came out. <laughs> <laughs> like, I honestly, so I just got mine. I I didn't get that one early. I just got it this weekend, and I'm excited to make my video on it because I'm just gonna take my time with it and put it out there. And I truly feel like it's a great camera, and I'm excited to share that with people. Um, but I didn't have to like rush to get it done, and I can just tell you from experience doing some of those like NDA product reviews, um, it's super stressful. I mean, it's like sometimes these companies will give you the product like a day before it comes out and it's like, all right, you need to be done by 5 a.m. tomorrow. And it's like, well, it's midnight right now. What you know? And then you have to <laughs> stay up all night and uh, it's just torture. Um, now, I, it would be hypocritical of me to say not to do it when I do it myself. Um, and I, I do it because I understand it's kind of part of the job. And, um, if you want to be the best or you want to be one of the bigger channels, then you really just have to, you just have to do the work and be one of the early creators on there. I would just, I would just stress figuring out a way to be unique and figuring out a way to be different. Um, I mean, just you yourself is different. So like your fans, you know, I've found, People say, why didn't you do a review on the A7 III? Like when that came out, I didn't review it for like months. And people are like, why didn't you do a review on it? I'm like, what do you mean? There's like a million reviews on YouTube. And they say, well, we want to see your your review. So I have to remind myself of that too. Like even if you, it's like, well, I know I just seen and iPhone do and Potato Jet and Maddie, they're all going to do a review on this. So why, why even bother? Um, but it's also just because the audience that I have, they, they care, you know, they want to see my take on it. Um, and you do always gain a little bit of that momentum from the other creators. Like if I review a camera and Maddie reviews the same camera and we release our video at the same time, his audience is much larger than mine. And there's a chance that my video will be suggested on the sidebar of his video. So maybe some, maybe I'll get some new viewers or whatever from that. So, uh, but to answer your question, uh, there's nothing. There's no like school that you go to or like course that you sign up for that can give you access to these things. <laughs> so yeah. there's no, there isn't like a method to get access to these companies. It's literally just uh, create. I'm like I said, 
earlier, I was just making two videos a week on cameras every week for like two years straight. Um, and that's how we grew our channel. And at the beginning I was buying everything and reviewing everything myself, um, buying, selling or buying and returning products. Um, so really all you gotta do is save up like three, $4,000. And that's just like a liquid that you use to buy stuff with. So, um, if you're starting out, just buy all the $500 cameras. So like I'll buy an M50, I'll buy the A6100, buy the X-T30 from Fuji. You know, you could buy three or four of those, review each one separately, then compare them against each other, then compare them to an iPhone, compare them to an Android phone, and then sell them and then buy something else, you know? So you don't have to get stuff from people to do this. You yeah. can I just... I mean, you can rent too now. There's plenty of rental options. The only reason I would suggest not renting is you lose money on renting because you can't return it or sell it. That's a good point. So if you you buy a camera and shoot your review within 30 days, you can just return it and get all your money back. So that's what I would suggest. And there, it sounds like a loophole. I guess it sort of is. Um, But uh, Amazon doesn't care if you open the box and use it. And technically you're deciding if you want to keep it, you know? So um, it is a strange kind of loophole. And I, you know, I would suggest probably if you want to be a hundred percent fair and not, uh, kind of cheat Amazon a little bit is you could buy it and then sell it on eBay and you're going to lose less money, especially if you're, I found that because I'm buying new cameras, um, so I would buy a camera, review it within a week and then sell it on eBay within a week. Sometimes those cameras are hard to get because I had to pre-order it to get it anyways. And you can sometimes make profit off of selling on eBay anyways because it's such a new camera. Um, when the Blackmagic Pocket 4K came out, that was definitely the case um, because they're sold out everywhere. So after I was done with my reviews, it's like, cool, I, you know, I'm going to sell it on eBay. Everybody wants this anyways. Um, and then it, I've also considered maybe having a, a place on my website where I can sell it. And so maybe even fans would consider buying it. You know, I could even call it out in the videos like, by the way, this is my last video of this camera. I'm going to sell it. So go to davemays.com slash gear. And you could, if you're interested in buying it, I'm selling it. First come, first serve, you know? Yeah. I'll no, throw in great, a... Great suggestion. I'll throw in a headshot with a signature if you want, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, so to answer your question, it just happens naturally. Once your audience grows to a certain size, they start knocking on the door. They start sending you emails. Um, for me, the magic number was 50,000 subscribers. Once I hit 50,000, that's when agents, managers, and companies started reaching out. I still haven't hit a hundred thousand yet, but when, once we do, I would imagine that's another barrier that, that can kind of open up more doors. Um, but again, it's all about the, it's all about the grind. It's all about that, you know, what Gary V says, the dirt, the, there's the clouds and the dirt. The clouds are the high moments that go into Catalina with I, Justine and hanging out with creators. The dirt is nothing came out for two or three months. What should we make today? I have to make a video. <laughs> yeah. I have to make a video today. Uh, you know, and it, it's not fun. It's not, it's not always fun making videos every single day about cameras. It can get monotonous. It can get, it can feel like you're in a cycle. It feels like you're alone too. Cause when you're a YouTuber, you're really just making stuff in your room or, you know, if you do have an office or whatever, but you're just making stuff and putting it out there. And even though you get views and comments, uh, it doesn't feel real. And when you go, uh, you know, when I've gone to NAB, Cinegear, VidCon, and I meet people who are actually watch the channel, it's so inspiring for me to be like, oh, there's real people that actually 
watch my stuff. That's weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> a it's a good thing to, to keep in mind. It keeps you going, right? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that's gone forever now. We'll never meet in person ever again. Never. Yeah. There's no more conferences. Um, never. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about your parody videos. You you had mentioned that you've you've done three. Um, I absolutely love them. I think they're. Thanks. Hilarious. They're fantastic. <laughs> um, if it's okay with you, I wanted to play your uh, your Old Town uh, Radio parody so for the listeners to, to hear. And, Old Town Road, yeah. Yeah, Old Town Road, and uh, know exactly what I'm talking about. So this was the, the one yeah. about the new iPhone SE, um, and you... If you have, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to see the actual video that goes along with this, check the show notes. But um, you got to work with I Justine and Sarah Dietschy on this, and it's it's just hilarious. Yeah. So let's play it real quick. Man, this whole coronavirus thing is making me rethink everything. I really need to be frugal with my money. That's why I enjoy using my iPhone 6s. What? New lower budget iPhone with Touch ID, iPhone 8 body, and does it have 3D touch? Does it have 3D touch? What would I do? I love that you right now with 399. Yeah. If social distancing yeah, he looks wasn't like, a thing. Uh, Steve Jobs. Stand in line. Just like Steve Jobs. My feet were sore. Yeah. I'm gonna stand in line till my feet are sore. I want the brand new iPhone. I do anything. I would sell my soul for that. Phone with no headphone hole. I got the AirPods and a Mac. Dongles in my pack. Aluminium attack. College space gray, not light black. All maxed out, of course. Ha! Steve Jobs would endorse. Made up in the valley. Cupertino, California. Yeah. Google can't sell me nothing. They can't sell me nothing. I don't trust them with nothing. Gmail is the exception. Gotta have adapters. Triple lens back cameras. Face ID and touch ID. Siri works, just ask her. Actually, she doesn't work. Last week I asked for movies. Instead, she gave me links to things like canopies and toiletries. Siri understands me often, but not very often. I still won't switch for nothing. I'm inside this walled garden. Yeah, I'm gonna stand in line till my feet are sore. I need the brand new iPhone. I do anything. I would sell my soul for that phone with no headphone hole. Apple Watch, HomePod, Retina 5K, iMac Spending all my money on Apple stuff isn't whack Mama thinks I've got a problem spending all my paychecks She don't know what it's like to render stuff with max out specs To the CEO I'd like to compliment I call him Tim Apple like the president Wish we could time capsule to the good old times I miss Steve and Steve and Johnny I'm gonna stand in line till my feet are sore I need the brand new iPhone I do anything I would sell my soul for that phone with no headphone hole <laughs> Oh man, that is so great <laughs> I highly recommend if you're listening, uh, go down to the show notes after this podcast and, and check it out. It's just, it's fantastic. Thanks, it's hilarious. Man. How do you come up with these, man? So that was the very first one. Uh, actually, no, I think I wrote gear guy actually before that one. Um, but, 
what was it that the actual song um gosh i'm blanking on it now because i'm so used to brand new iphone um <laughs> old town road that that song was just blowing up and i don't know i had this idea like i don't know i was just feeling kind of like i was stuck in the cycle of reviewing gear and so i had this idea to just do parodies and uh you know in the gear and tech space and i'm like nobody like i i, I want to be the comedy guy in the gear and tech space um and so that was my first kind of trial with that. I actually, I actually shot that and edited it and put it on my normal channel, my non Kinotika channel. Back when the iPhone 11 came out, um, I just kind of rebranded it and re-released it when the iPhone SE came out because I didn't, like, I didn't get very many views on it on my normal channel because I didn't have the subscriber base. And even though I, I kind of feel like it had all of the combination to go viral, it didn't. Um, just because you can't make a viral video. It's just impossible. Um, I did put it on TikTok and it got like over a million views on TikTok. <laughs> um, so I started kind of experimenting with TikTok a little bit more. And I, I do think that's a better kind of place to put parodies nowadays. Um, when I did that project with iJustine, she did say, she was like, if you did this six years ago, it would have gone viral, but parodies don't really blow up like they used to on YouTube. Um, because of probably mostly because of copyright, you know, obviously I got flagged for, um, because it sounds like old town road and, uh, technically it's fair use. So I'm splitting the revenue. Um, so I don't know all the like algorithm stuff. It doesn't really matter. Cause at the end of the day, I'm super proud of that piece and it was a ton of fun to make. Um, but I don't think that I haven't posted another parody in a while. I was planning on doing one a month, but every single parody that I've done on Kinetika has performed poorly. So I don't think I'm going to do any more parodies on Kinetika because after three in a row and spending a lot of time and effort onto it, uh, they have not performed well. And every time I post something on TikTok, it blows up. So I'm consider I've been considering just doing parodies on TikTok. Uh, and kind of building a parody career on TikTok. But um, anyways, uh, it's really natural for me. My dad's a music producer. I was a guitar player uh, when I was younger, when I was 13, 14, 15, 16. Uh, I played guitar in rock bands and stuff before Magic. Um, and uh, yeah, so I have like a musical, I guess, skill. Um I played clarinet in uh, middle school and high school. I was in the marching band and stuff. Um, but I just, I wrote that thing, uh, you know, in two hours, the brand new iPhone one. It's really every single th lyric in that video is like, I, I was trying to dig deep on every single Apple fanboy thing. And I am a crazy Apple fanboy. I, uh, you know, I listen to MacBreak Weekly every week. I listen to ATP every week on uh, my podcasts, and I'm always up on Apple News and um, not not the Apple News app. I actually have that app deleted because that app sucks. But <laughs> I mean, news relating to Apple, um, and maybe some of those jokes were too inside jokey, like for like a mass audience. Because I think like Steve and Steve and Johnny Ive, like Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs, and Johnny Ive. I'd say most people don't get that. You know, most people don't get Tim Apple. Um, most people don't know what a time machine is. Time, you know, uh, 
or time capsule actually was the it, it was Apple made a Wi-Fi router that had a time machine built into it called Time Capsule. And it would back up your computer and stuff. I mean, there's just a lot of deep aluminium. You know, that's what Johnny Ive called al- yeah. al- aluminum. <laughs> so uh, there's just a lot of jokes in there, and that's why Sarah and and Justine wanted to do it because they they loved the lyrics. And I just reached out to him. I was just like, hey, I'm I'm going to be in Cupertino for the iPhone launch. Can you guys be in the video? And that's not true. I was not going to be in Cupertino for the iPhone launch. I was going to drive to Cupertino to to collab with them because I knew they were there. <laughs> and so um, sometimes you just got to make stuff happen. And that's what I did. I I was not there for the event at all. I was not invited at all. But I knew they were. And I knew they were going to be there. And I knew that the timing of this would be perfect. And I knew that they would probably maybe say yes, you know, and they did. And, um, so I drove, I literally drove to Cupertino from, uh, Orange County. It took about six hours. And, um, with only, the only reason I did that was to collab with Sarah and Justine. That's awesome. <laughs> so, totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was cool for me too, because I mean, that's not the only reason the only, all those, uh, backgrounds were in Cupertino. So, some of those buildings that I'm in front of are um, Apple headquarters. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one of them is the main Apple store uh, next to the the new uh, spaceship campus, and then um, one of the other ones is Infinite Loop, the older the older place. Um, and then, obviously, the Google sign. I found that over at the Google headquarters. So, um, I really put a lot of effort into it, and I bought like those those hoodies I was wearing are authentic 80s uh, Apple uh, sweatshirts that I, <laughs> I paid way too much for. <laughs> I think it was like a hundred bucks for oh, one of man. them and eight, because they're from the 80s. Um, and nobody noticed any of that stuff. But I I think it was a real important process for me. That was the very first parody I, did, I shot. I recorded the other one. but um, And I, I've told people that I've felt more fulfilled creatively and artistically and in terms of like joy and not, not happiness. I think happy being happy is a feeling, but joy is like an inner thing. And I, I had genuine joy making those videos. I loved writing it. I loved producing the music and I loved shooting and creating it. Um, so whatever, I don't know what that means. I, you know, I'm 30 years old. I feel like I got a good, Hopefully, a good another 20, 30 years ahead of me. Um, maybe I'll do more in the future in other avenues because I, I thoroughly enjoy making them. Um, but uh, unfortunately, on Kinetika, they don't seem to make any money. They don't, nobody watches them <laughs> because people, my, my channel is used to reviews. So I throw that up there and the algorithm's like, what do I do with this? You know, um, although Gear Guy got some attention, I think that one worked well on Kinetika because it was gear related, but it's still, you know, it performed like my, my DJI Mavic air review got twice as many views, you know? So, uh, it's not all about the views, but because this is a business and because I have to make decisions from a business standpoint, not emotionally, um, from a business perspective, after three trials, the, the experiment has shown me that they don't work on my channel. So, from an objective standpoint, uh, after three tests, they don't seem to work. I did three back to back to back, uh, and, and they didn't work, but they performed really well on TikTok. So 
I, I told that to a YouTube consultant friend of mine who like works with big YouTubers and helps them develop strategies and stuff. And he said, your solution to this is simple. I was like, what? He said, you're a TikToker. <laughs> is that a thing I was now? Like, oh, we wait. have TikTokers. We have Instagrammers, YouTubers, and now TikTokers. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I don't know how I feel about that. You know, um, I'm excited about what's ahead. Uh, I've got some some things in the works right now that uh, that we haven't discussed um, that I'm excited about that I'm not allowed to to speak about. So there's a lot of great opportunities that have come from it. I think there is value in. The Sarah Dietschy says this one for me, one for them yeah, kind of absolutely. mentality. And I think uh, for me, it's more like four for them, one for me. <laughs> but, um, but it, that basically by me creating those, it was for me. I, I enjoyed it. And my core audience of fans who actually just watch everything I make, they loved it. The comments on those videos were better than any video. The, the, the like to dislike ratio is better than anything, you know? Um, so there is some value in that. And I think in a way, kind of the respect that you can gain from other creators by doing something like that is invaluable. You know, now that I've done three of them, if I have an interaction with a, another YouTuber and I want to have them featured in another parody, they, it's like, oh yeah, Dave makes great parodies. I want to be involved in that, you know? Um, so even though from a business perspective, the numbers don't line up the opportunity in the creation side, because all YouTubers really are artists, creators. Like we just, we want to create stuff anyway. So sometimes playing into the algorithm can be boring. So doing something completely different um, like this is fun. And that's why Justine and Sarah were so kind to give me their time to to do it. And they, they seem to really enjoy doing it. And I'm really grateful that they did it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. But I'm I'm real <laughs> excited about the future, and uh, I'm definitely going. I'm never. I'm not going to stop doing them, just because they didn't get a ton of views. But I will probably not post them on on Kinetica. But it may take other shapes or different forms on Follow on different Dave platforms. On TikTok, if you want to see them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're great, and I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it, it, sometimes you got, you just got to create for yourself and it, um, in the long run, it rejuvenates you and keeps you going on, on the other stuff. So exactly. I don't I definitely buy into that mentality. Um, I want to transition our conversation a little bit, um, into talking about your podcast. So you have two podcasts now you have the, um, the golden yeah. hour podcast with, with polar pro, uh, like I mentioned earlier is my favorite podcast to listen to. I absolutely love it. And then you just started <laughs> the, the debate, amazing right podcast yeah. Um, yeah i only have one episode because uh things at home have kind of limited me to to do more but the goal of that is to post that one every wednesday and polar pro every tuesday so um although it is wednesday right now maybe i'll sh maybe i'll do one maybe <laughs> maybe you, you could be my guest for this week's amazing there we go <laughs> <laughs> um i want to talk about the golden hour podcast so um that show's sure. been running for what like two years now Almost, almost two years. Yeah, almost two years. Yeah. I think in uh, I think October. I mean, it's a year and a half, I guess, technically. Two but years. I moved, You're on your like third or fourth thumbnail, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, design. yeah. This is the yeah. This is the final design. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there was there was one with me in the picture. That was the very first one, and then with like brush strokes. Yeah, and then the last one. Was I like never like tree, right, or something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. The last one, I like, I love the design of, of the Golden Hour logo, but the the album artwork, I always hated it. I felt like it was too small. I hated the yellow border around the edges because a lot of podcast apps round the corners off. And so when you round the corners mm. off, the border cut off. And so I've been talking to, I talked to the designer at uh, Polar Pro finally about it. And he was like, oh yeah, I'll change that. And then like within a week he changed it. I was like, why didn't I bring this up earlier? Um, so yeah, the the current logo is my favorite because it's nice and bold. You can see the logo. There's no borders on it. I really love the new logo. So I know we've changed it three times, but I don't think we're going to change it again. I think this is the last one. I so. love it. So uh, for those of our listeners that maybe haven't heard of it or haven't checked it out yet, the Polar Pro, uh, the Golden Hour podcast uh, for Polar Pro is uh, yeah. is all about creators, photographers, uh, videographers, and um, just hearing their stories, which is it, it's been uh, at least for me really motivating to listen to. Uh, how did uh, how did that show come about with uh, Polar Pro? How did you get connected with with that? You said you because it was it started in Nashville, right? When you first no. started talking to them, yeah. or was it when you moved here? So I'm a yeah. I mean, believe what you guys want to believe, but I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I my wife and I were praying for two weeks straight every single day for uh, direction on to move to California. And after two weeks of daily prayer, Polar Pro called me and they said, "Would you like to move to California and be the host of this podcast?" Uh, and so that's what happened. It was a direct response to prayer about it, and uh, that's that's what I believe. Um, so. So yeah, I mean, out of nowhere, just like Kinatika, it fell in my lap. I did nothing. I just prayed and uh, I was making my YouTube channel. Um, you know, Rocky from Polar Pro reached out to me. He saw my YouTube channel. They were, you know, just kind of listening to Gary V and that whole thing. It's like, if you're a company, you need to have a podcast to and treat yourself like a media company. And 100%. I'm surprised you know, more companies don't, don't do that. I mean, yeah. It's a and they're they're really idea. there's a lot of great podcasts out there in our niche, but um, but like you said, yeah, like I don't I don't think Moment has a podcast. They have a great YouTube channel, mm-hmm. but they don't have a podcast. Uh, a lot of companies in our industry could have one if they really wanted to, but they don't. Um, and the whole goal of it was to just kind of be, you know, the Joe Rogan of the camera, you know, filmmaker, photography, YouTuber, content creator space, you know, and. Um, and so we started out uh, only, you know, meeting at the office. They set aside a, a room in the in the studio in the in the the Polar Pro offices that we soundproofed and we put mics in there. And um, we were doing a video podcast along with it. We were doing like a three camera video edit, uh, and we just found that the views on that were like minuscule. Like we get like a hundred views on something, but then uh, over a thousand listens. And the amount of time and effort spent on editing those videos was so high. And uh, thankfully, this last year, you know, before 2020, about I think around December, my boss from Polar Pro was like, hey, let's just kill the video. Like, nobody's watching it. You're spending twice as much time editing that as you are the, the audio and getting no return on it. Even though that was part of my contract uh, for them. Uh, at the beginning was to be involved in some of that. Um, he decided to just cut it. And I'm really grateful that we did because now we can open it up to doing Skype calls. And so that's opened up the door to even better, um, you know, uh, opportunities for conversations. So, um, 
so yeah, so that it's really just been an enjoyable kind of extra thing that I do that I, I really love being a part of. I am employed by Polar Pro, just like how I'm employed by Kinotika. So it's not a Dave Mays podcast. It's a Polar Pro podcast, and I'm just the host of it. Um, but I've really you know, loved working with those guys. It's a great company. They make great products. Um, all the all the people that work there are amazing. Uh, it's been actually kind of a shame, you know, not going into the office anymore. Even if I were doing Skype calls, um, I, I really enjoy going into the office and having like I do my Kinetika thing in my garage and, and by myself here, you know, at the beach or whatever. But uh, it, it was kind of nice to like go to a normal office once or twice a week with Polar Pro and just have interactions with people and um, just collaborate with others and stuff. So it's been a great uh, experience and, uh, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for for that job. It's been a real blessing for our family to have that additional income and then also been able to connect with a lot of great creators. And um, I love I love doing it. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on on my shows because I listened to that podcast each and every week hearing you interview other people. And I was like, I want to have Dave on and interview Dave. Yeah. I want to interview the interviewer. Uh, hear his backstory. Thanks, so you just started the, the amazing podcast. I think your first episode came out two weeks ago, I think maybe. Roughly. Yeah, yeah. So what was the story? Uh, what was the motivation behind uh, the starting a second podcast? Yeah. I mean the, the riots and all that kind of stuff kind of, put a damper on the situation. I think I, sh I was like, Hey, I think this is a weird time to post this, but, and then sure enough, I got a couple tweets like, yeah, you shouldn't be talking about your own thing right now. Now's the time to, to grieve. And I'm like, yes, but, uh, you know, the world's still moving forward. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anyways, I, that wasn't my intention at all was to be distasteful towards, you know, the situation that's going on currently in the world. But, um, it's been a work in progress for a while now. I think so Polar Pro because they're a corporate entity, they they really want the podcast to be really uh, slick and you know, it's it's heavily edited. Um, you know, uh, there is a structure to it and I enjoy doing that, but I really wanted to have an outlet to to have my own thing, you know, that can be as rough and as loose as possible. Um, and also, because every episode of Polar, of the Polar Pro Show is a new guest, um, I'm trying. You know, I, I ask similar questions, and um, I try not. I've learned now to not necessarily go into too much of how somebody started. I feel like it can get a little boring. Mm -hmm. No offense <laughs> to everybody, but it's like, well, I started in college, and then I transitioned to this and that, and that's great. You know, there. There's value in that. I think there is some, but I, I try to keep that minimal now and I get into what that person is currently doing, what they've learned through the process. Uh, cause I feel like most people are more interested in, you know, how do I, how do I do what you're doing? Yeah. You know? Um, uh, and I just want a place to like, I, I get cameras all the time and I have a lot of thoughts about cameras, you know, for right now, the ZV one, for example, is really interesting to me. I really enjoy that camera. Um, and I'm going to make a 10-minute review on it. Maybe I'll make another video about it later, but that's it. And those are highly edited, and I have to really trim out a lot of meat there, and there's more thoughts I'd like to go into. And so the the idea for Demazing is just to be a Dave podcast where I can talk about my week, talk about um, what I've learned about cameras, and kind of have a weekly um, almost news 
show about either current trends in the camera uh, space. Um, I want to just have a place for my fellow creator friends. I could just call them up and be like, hey, can you be on my show this week? And just have random people on, have return guests and different things. But we just talk about what's going on. I don't have to like interview them and like ask them about how they got started. It's just a, a podcast about what's happening in the camera industry, you know? Awesome. Well, I love it. I'm going to look forward to, to uh, more episodes coming out and listening to that. Um, yeah. Just what I need. Another, another podcast to listen to. Thanks, Dave. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Got to keep up on that. So uh, just real quick, kind of to, to sum, sum things up, su- sum up our conversation. Uh, for our, our listeners that are looking to, you know, make that jump to being a content creator, whether it's a podcast, whether it's YouTube, um, you know, I'm sure you've had great experiences looking back at your journey through this, uh, working and collaborating with a lot of different creators, um, your interviews with them too on your podcast. What tips or, or, or maybe just one tip, what's your best tip you can give someone that's looking <laughs> to make that jump into maybe being a content creator? I'm going to say it in my words, make stuff, make stuff. That's it. Just make stuff. Um, and to elaborate on that, um, it's really what I've learned is it's, it is a grind. It's, it's a lot of work. It's hard work. Um, it's not glamorous at all. It, it takes time to make these videos. Um, and another thing I would add to that, make stuff that's, that's good. Not, you know, if it's great, then that's great. But if it's 80% there, uh, in terms of perfection, then that's definitely good enough. In fact, I'd even say 40%, if it's 40% there in the quality, uh, standpoint, and you just can't, you don't have the time or, or, you know, if you don't post now, it's not going to be relevant in two weeks, uh, then put it out. Um, because as a YouTuber content creator, it's, it's you, it's the personality, it's the content that you're speaking about. It is, even if you're doing videos, it really is an audio based thing. You, if, if you lock your phone and you have YouTube premium and you play one of my videos and you're not even watching my video, I want you to get away, you know, all the, all the content that I'm talking about. Um, you don't, you know, obviously because it's a visual medium, uh, you want to see, what the low light looks like. You want to see what the, the color looks like on that camera or whatever. But for the most part, it needs to be driven by the content and, and the personality behind that. And so um, the only way you're going to get good at that is by making stuff um, and being consistent. Uh, you know, that's one of the main things that everybody talks about on my podcast. When I ask them the same question, uh, usually it's, you know, it's go out there and make stuff and be consistent. And it's, it, if you hear this a lot, it can sound like a cliche, but it's true. And, um, it's 90% hard work, 10% head knowledge, you know, um, you know how to do it, you know what you're going to talk about, but the hard part, the 90% of that is, uh, going out there, spending a day, shooting the video, spending, you know, a day writing it, spending one or two days editing it to make one video a week. I mean, that's all I'm doing right now on Kino. I'm doing one video a week now because I lost Connor. I'm by myself now. When I had Connor, I was able to be more productive. And I, if you have the ability to, to maybe make a little bit less, but hire somebody to help you, uh, even if it's part-time doing, 
kind of the the grunt work of the editing um, that can really help your productivity. I'd say if you're starting out fresh and brand new on YouTube, uh, two a week is the minimum. Like I'm just going to be honest, that is the minimum amount of videos. If you want to do this full time and you're actually dead serious about it, you have to make two videos a week. Um, I've been able to slow down to one a week because I've built that foundation now, and uh, I can I can take my time a little bit now because whether it takes me a week or two weeks to post something, I know that the audience is there still. Uh, that that does mean that my growth has slowed down significantly. My my growth in the early days was much faster um, because I was posting every Wednesday and every Friday, I believe, when I was starting out, and I was doing a live stream on top of that. Wow. So, um, but. That's because I was getting paid, uh, you know, but like I said, I, we were broke for that year. Uh, we were barely making enough. So if you're, if you really want it and I wanted it so bad, I wanted to do this really, really bad. Um, and so I spent all my energy in my work doing this. I, I am a father and a husband first. And so I did treat it like a real job. You know, it's been about, uh, five to eight hours a day. The beauty of this is there's no rule. If it takes you four hours a day to work on it, then that's fine. I think ultimately four hours a day is the goal for everybody, right? That'd be great to only work four yeah. hours a day. Um, there's no rule that says an eight hour workday is, is the amount of time that you must as a human work every day. Um, so, but in the early days, you're going to put in some time, um, but you don't want to sacrifice everything else. I think a healthy human, it's all about balance. If you think about every aspect of your life as a spoke on a wheel, like a bicycle wheel, um, career is just one of those spikes uh, or one of those spokes. Um, if, if you look at a spoke on a wheel, it's like uh, career, health, spirituality, friendships, you know, relationships, um, you know, uh, intellect, you know, you want to learn more, you want to be, be a, um, be a student. And if, if your if your spoke of career is larger than your spoke of health, then your wheel is off balance. You know, if you're spending more time, uh, in your career and you're not healthy, uh, then you don't have a balanced life. If you're not spending, uh, time and, and effort and care into relationships, then it's not healthy. Um, I think we can get really wrapped up in social media and, and the the glamour of it or whatever, if you want to call it that. Um, and uh, you got to realize this is a long-term game. One of my favorite interviews was with uh, Caleb Pike from DSLR Video Shooter. And uh, he's been doing this now for, I think, 10 years now on YouTube. And for him, it's all about sustainability. Every decision he makes as a YouTuber is more along the lines of uh, how can I how can this help me grow in a long term on a long term situation? He's he's not trying to get the quick click or the quick view. He is making decisions. You know, this title, this thumbnail works better. These topics work better, or whatever. But he's not hurting himself. You know, he's treating it like an adult. He's he's going to work in the morning and he leaves. Uh, in the in the afternoon, and he goes home, and he's with his family, and he picks up where he left off the next morning. Um, you know that can sound. So people will say stuff like that to me because I do pull all nighters often, and I'll work really hard. But 
a lot of people don't realize like today is this is the only thing I'm doing today. Um, I, I stayed up all night on Sunday getting a video done yesterday that I have to get approval on. Um, but, uh, I'm not going to work today or tomorrow, I think. And then I'll, I'll work on, uh, on Friday a little bit, but, um, sometimes with this type of work, you have to have like some crazy intense focus or speed, but I like to balance that with intense rest, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, it's just not healthy to to do this every single day, nonstop, no sleep. Definitely. That's all you think about, all you do. Um, I think that can get glamorized in our culture, especially in America. People really put a lot of, uh, they kind of put like success and career high up on a pedestal and they like almost worship yep. the idea of like being successful in your job. But like as I've matured uh, into being a father and a husband, I'm learning that uh, I'm more fulfilled going to the beach with my two boys and sitting on the sand and just relaxing and enjoying the company of my family and friends. I mean, that's more fulfilling than anything, really. And um, so, but I mean, but then you get, you know, doing my parodies and stuff creatively, I'm, I'm fulfilled doing that. So you want to just have balance on all those things. I need to start working out. You know, I'm I'm thicker than I've ever been in my life. You know, I, I've always been a real skin and bone skinny boy and I'm, I got the dad bod nowadays. So, um, so yeah, I, I want to get more balanced with my health. Um, that was a long answer to that question, but <laughs> <Make stuff. laughs> a lot of good make, advice there. Well, Dave, make um, stuff is the, the, the main point. <laughs> how do our, how do my listeners uh, connect with you if they want to uh, check out your stuff? Yeah, I mean, uh, Dave Mays on Twitter, at Dave Mays. From there, you can get everything. If you want to go to my website, DaveMays.com, M-A-Z-E, not M-A-Y-S, like the uh, the famous um, tele televangelist guy. What's his name? <laughs> uh, what was his name? Uh, Billy Mays, Billy the Mays. OxyClean guy. <laughs> uh, Often some people are like, oh, like Billy Mays. I'm like, no, because he, he spelled it M-A-Y-S, like the month. But mine is like the Mays that you get caught in if you go into a cornfield. It'll be linked down in the show notes if you guys want to connect with Dave. Dave, thanks for coming on the show, man. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, make sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the Hive podcast, and you can uh, follow me, your host, Jared Spinka, at Jared Spink on Twitter and Instagram. And be on the lookout for next week's episode, Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific time each and every week. All right, thanks. <laughs>